Hey, man, how's it going, Ted? I'm doing great, Daryl. How about you? Uh, doing fantastic. Let me just uh, get this volume up. All right. Happy Friday, man. Yeah, happy Friday. It's a, It's been a good one so far. I mean, I, I'm kind of always torn on these short weeks, whether or not I like the short weeks or don't like the short weeks. And it seems like I get everything crammed all into one day, it seems like, this week. <laughs> I hear you, man. It's It's been a busy week for sure. So what is your typical week like that doesn't include um, day? Yeah, so my, my typical week um, – you know, I work with my eye doctor and, um, I, um, I, I have a two, three, two, three schedule. So two days out the week, I'll see patients one week and the following three and the other days I do professional services days. So I'm our project, um, a project, um, a special projects liaison. So I do a lot of our pilots, uh, helping to write protocols, uh, work with students, work with our marketing team. So on those other days, that's what I'm basically working on. Um, and then outside of that, Deep Focus Media, Black Eye Care Perspective, um, just doing all those various things and then being a dad, man. So, you know, that's that's it in a nutshell. So it's, yeah. it's kind of all over the place. This week was a travel week. So I, I really didn't have my typical schedule. Um, so that kind of threw everything off with me because um, I'm awake, but I'm tired at the same time. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And I got a text from Hank saying, Hey, do you know, Dr. Daryl Glover? I said, yeah, he spoke for me at the, at Seco this year. I know him really well. He goes, well, he's here. I said, okay. So, yeah, oh, I, really? I, yeah. I'm presumed. I mean, did he not come up and introduce him? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, Hank. Hey, yes. Yeah. Yes. He mentioned you. That's right. I forgot all about that. That's, that's how tired I am, man. I understand. He's um first, uh, first or second year. First year. Yep. Yep. Because we spoke to them early in the morning. He came over and he's like, yeah, you know, Ted, I was like, Absolutely, man. (laughs) Small world. Welcome to the Vision of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ted McElroy. This podcast is dedicated to helping you find your wins, have a better quality of life, and become the best leader you can be. Hey, have you subscribed to this podcast yet? Don't miss an episode. They're worth every single thing you paid for them which is nothing because they're free. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast by hitting the subscribe button. Give us a rating and a review on your specific podcast player. This helps us with our podcast rankings and makes it easier for people to find us. And as always, please support those who help support us. episode 102 of this podcast, Chris interviewed Justin Kwan, Michelle Andrews, and Richard Ruth. They pointed out that as a profession, we have done a great job of letting our patients know that myopia is not a big deal. If you can see 2020, there is no worry. It is the high myopes that are more danger. And as they said, that message is tragic. Any myopia has a higher risk of maculopathy, glaucoma, and earlier cataract development. In the MySight one-day clinical trials, only 4% of study participants who got ProClear one-days stayed stable in their myopia progression over the three-year period. That means you can confidently say, parent, by not going to a system geared to slow the myopia progression, there is a 96% chance your child's vision will get worse. This may take away some of the choice your child has in the future as to how they will correct their vision. Choice not fear of the disease associations with myopia is what best resonates with parents when it comes to myopia control for their children. And with Cooper Vision's MySight One Day, we now have an FDA-approved single-use contact lens to lessen the progression of myopia in our patients. Contact your Cooper Vision representative to find out more about MySight One Day contact lenses. Welcome to the Vision of Leadership podcast. I'm Ted McElroy, and today I have my very good friend, Dr. Daryl Glover. He is a um, I mean, basically what you're going to find out is there's a lot of stuff he is, Uh, (laughs) you know, and uh, he's in North Carolina working with uh, my eye doctor as a clinical uh, professional, but also working in their leadership structure. 
and um, I'm really excited about having him here today. Daryl and I got to meet, uh, first of all, on a board uh, for an advisory board, and uh, have I've had him have had him come speak for Seco at MedPro 360 a couple times, and he's gotten some great reviews. Of course, he does it every place he goes to speak. So, uh, <laughs> Daryl, welcome to the uh, podcast. Thank you for being here. Hey, Ted, man. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to hang out with you because, you know, there's a few people that I walk into a room with and I just sit down and I just listen and I'm in awe. And you're one of those people. As you mentioned, we we uh, met on a board many, many moons ago. And I just recall when we were talking about a certain topic, you just started to speak. And I was just like, who is this guy? I got to I got to learn more from him. Like and, and you know me, if I'm in a room, I like to run my mouth like I'm doing right now. Right. And um. I told myself that I was not going to say anything. I was just going to sit down, listen, and learn. And that's exactly what I did. And ever since then, you know, we've had a, a tight relationship. You know, if you need something, you hit me up. If I need something, you hit me up. Um, and it's just been a great relationship um, um, from that day uh, that we sat on that board. So thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I'm excited. I'm ready to have some fun. Let's have a conversation, man. All right, let's do that. So, you know, one of the things I really like to do, everybody's got their own origin story, like a superhero, you know, you're kind of that superhero when it comes to optometry. So tell me your origin story. <laughs> so superhero origin story. All right. So define that you're, you're, you're asking more of what superhero would I be or just my background? Give your me a background, how you turned into be super optometrist, the everybody's uh, favorite optometrist, as I believe. I became everyone's it. favorite optometrist. Right. Okay. Well, check it out. It's an interesting story how I became everyone's favorite optometrist. You know, most people are like, hey, he just gave himself that name. But in reality, I didn't. What happened is um, being a, a, an optometrist, I would go in day in and day out and I help my patients and I would create a lot of value for my patients. And my patients will basically say, man, you know, you're my favorite optometrist. I never had an optometrist as great as you, man. I, I love you, man. I'm going to refer my, my friends and my family to you. Those friends and family would come in and they would say the same thing. And next thing you know, it's a chain reaction. Um, and it's spreading throughout the entire Raleigh-Durham area. And everyone would always say, that's my favorite optometrist. And then they would tell my optical team members that, my front desk that, my managers that. And I was like, oh, wow, I guess I'm everyone's favorite optometrist. So I took that and I ran with it. And then it started to uh, go like crazy in the optical industry as well. Everyone would just say, hey, that's my favorite optometrist because I like the podcast. I like the work he's doing. I met him. Very nice guy, kind guy. And ever since then, it's just been, uh, I guess, my my alias. Uh, you know, Daryl Glover, your favorite optometrist. And we've just been building from there. So, you know, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, it's more, more than anything, God's work, you know, putting me in the right place at the right time and creating value for that person that's sitting in front of me. And uh, for anyone that was looking for optometrists, they just always wanted to refer, hey, you got to check out my favorite optometrist, Dr. Daryl Glover. And I just took it and ran with it from there. That's a great, great way to do it. I mean, one of the things that really points out is how important branding is. And I don't know anybody really in our industry who understands this as well as you do. Uh, I've heard you speak on it. I just, I've heard you just talking about it, to be honest with you. I, I I think it's really important that we figure out what our identity actually is. And you've done that very well. How, how did you decide to take the rest of your identity and shape it into what you have? Well, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned branding. And I just was at a conference or a school talking about, you know, some important things that you need to take care of from day one. And branding was one of those things. And for me, when it comes to branding, it's really about if you can, at an early age, at an early point, figure out your why, figure out your purpose, because once you're able to do that, then the branding just all kicks in naturally. And for me, I was able to figure that out at an early age. You know, how I got into optometry was basically um, I started selling glasses at an early age. And the person that was sitting in front of me, I remember it was the first day that I sold my first pair of glasses. They came in, they were like, man, I need a new pair of glasses. I'm tired of these. Literally threw them on the counter and said, I need a new look. I need a new image. I can't see any these. Just please help me. And being that I didn't know what I was doing, I just helped them. I just, you know, we went, we tried on every frame in the office and played around. And before you know it, we found something that he liked. A week later, he came back, he picked up his glasses. Ted, when I tell you, this guy smiled once he put on his glasses because he could see well, but also because he had a new personality, a new look. At that point in time, I knew my purpose was to create the state of happiness through vision. And I told myself, you know, this is my thing. And as a result of that, 
I kind of, you know, went from selling glasses to saying, hey, I want to be the one that's prescribing that prescription. And that why that purpose has allowed me to grow this brand over time. My goal for every person that sits in front of me is to create happiness through vision, whether it's colleague to colleague, whether it's doctor to patient, that is my goal. That is my purpose. And my brand allows me to do that. And I build a brand around that. One of the things that's really important when you're looking at a brand is how do you decide how that brand looks? And, and I feel like part of this has to go back to core values. And you've talked about your core values. So would you mind telling us what your core values are? I mean, these are, I presume these are your personal core values, not what you're building your business around. Or maybe you can't quite separate the two of them. You hit the nail on the head. You can't separate the two. You have to have your personal core values and they must align with your uh, professional core values. And I always tell students, you know, whenever it comes to your core values and you're looking for an organization to join or partner with, make sure that the two align. That way you're always going to be on, on point with that organization to grow and amplify whatever it is that you're trying to do. But for me, I have three core values. Uh, you know, the first one is meaningful relationships. What does that mean? Um, you know, you really want to make sure that you're able to create value for that person that's in front of you. You want to make sure that you can um, uh, practice empathy with that person in front of you. You want to make sure that you have some type of self-awareness. And, you know, these are things that, you know, help you on a one-on-one level, on a personal level. But as an eye care professional, it helps tremendously in the exam room. So, again, you can see where those two things um, overlap. Uh, the other piece is continuous impactful uh, growth. You know, uh, what does that mean? It means I'm always learning. I always want to know what can I do to take it to the next level? How can I help someone else learn or be educated about something? Um, so on a personal level, for me, that means reading books, whether it's a leadership book, whether it's uh, edu- uh, uh, something that's educated, uh, education related um, in regards to eye care. What can I do to create value that's always going to continuously um, allow me to learn and get better as a person? Um, and the same thing when it comes to the professional piece. You got to go to your CE, not just to go there and just hang out, but actually listen, perfect your craft, get better, create value for that patient in front of you. But you got to continuously learn. And, you know, my last core value is really about um, impact and change, having effective change. What does that mean? You know, what are you doing day in and day out? Are you truly changing that person's life that's sitting in front of you? Are you having a conversation that's going to create value to who they are as a person? Are you having a conversation that's going to create value to society? Are you having a conversation that's going to create value to your profession? Um, And these are things that I'm doing within the different organizations that I'm a part of. Um, With my eye doctor, I deal with special projects day in and day out. We're running pilots to figure out how can we make it a better experience for our patients. With Defocus Media, um, you know, we're having effective change, Dr. Jennifer Lyerly and I, by having conversations about hot topics, uh, legislation, you know, different things that's going to change our industry for the better. Um, With Black Eye Care Perspective, the same deal. You know, we're looking to create and foster lifelong relationships with African-Americans in the eye care industry. And we're running different projects, pilots, getting more students in the pipeline, you know, creating effective change within the industry. Because we all know uh, by 2045, the uh, new majority will be the uh, uh, minorities. And in order to really be able to um, work with that uh, new majority, you have to uh, have that Black representation. You have to have uh, knowledge of how to communicate. You have to make sure that they're sitting in these seats, whether it's executive, board seats, things of that nature. But, you know, all these core values align with me on a personal level, but they also impact my professional level as well. So when you're looking at a particular decision, you are judging that next decision by those core values. Absolutely. You're pushing if it doesn't align. If it doesn't align with me, I don't have anything to do with it. Right. And, and the one thing that does, I got to presume is it just makes it really simple when you're getting ready to make a decision of whether or not I'm going to do this. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, and it's funny you mention that because people are always asking, how are you able to make decisions so quickly? I, I just look at those three different core values and I look at my, my vision and just make sure that all of those things align. And if it does, then it makes sense. Yeah. And for you, that's got to be really helpful because let's face it, I guess the one question I have is to ask you is what exactly are you not involved in? <laughs> um, that's a great know, question. <laughs> because I think it would be easier to answer that question than what you are involved in uh, between Defocus Media, um, you know, with your practice, um, with your initiative in minorities, with, uh, I mean, all the boards you get the chance to speak into that that's got to be something that makes it very difficult sometimes to decide what's 
the priority right now? And how are you sitting down and figuring out what the time allotment has to go with each thing? And not to mention the fact that, you know, right now, because of how things have gone with COVID, you can't be involved in your mission that you've been doing for years in Africa. Yeah. So, you know, great question. And, you know, people always asking about that time management as well. And honestly, Ted, um, believe it or not, everything overlaps because, again, it all aligns with my purpose, right, to create the state of happiness through the art of vision. Each one of those projects that I have are all about vision. It's either, you know, educating colleague to colleague, colleague to patient, doctor to patient, whatever it may be, but everything aligns. So I may have a call where someone's asking about how can we be active in Black Eye Care perspective? That same call goes into, um, I want to be on your podcast for Defocus Media. How can we collaborate there? And in the last project, oh, you work for My Eye Doctor? That's a large organization. Uh, we're interested in getting our product into that company as well. So, you know, those three different conversations can be a 30-minute conversation all in one, and it makes it easier to align in regards to uh, time management. So it's really not a lot of work, not a lot of things, because everything aligns with one common goal, one common purpose, and it makes it easier for me. So what kind of things have you stopped doing in the last, say, two or three years that you were doing on a regular basis, and now you decided that has outlived its time for me? So I had a, uh, a clinic out in, in Nigeria and, you know, prior to COVID, um, I was in a process of uh, moving locations. So I took everything out of the clinic, then COVID hit. So I got equipment just sitting there. Um, during COVID, it really allowed me to sit down and just kind of brainstorm. You know, I'm 38 years old. I'll be 39 years old this year. And um, it allowed me to sit down and think, you know, I need to be with my family. I can't be going back and forth at all times. So my goal was to partner with someone out there to be able to keep that practice moving. Um, you know, with COVID and some of the other things that took place in Nigeria, I wasn't able to do that. Um, so when it comes to what things am I not able to do, I'm not able to be out there as much as I would like to be because I really love the culture. I love the environment, um, all that jazz, love to travel. But um, that's one major thing that I haven't been able to do. And a big reason of that is because, again, sitting at COVID, you're at home, you're with your family. I have a son. Now I have a newborn. I have a wife. And being able to spend more time with them is a big thing that I need to focus on more than just making money or helping others, unfortunately. Yeah. And one of the other things that happens, too, because of what you're getting exposed to is you see a lot of new things that are happening in our industry. So what are some of the maybe some of the newer concepts that most people wouldn't have heard about right now that you see is really interesting happening with our profession? Well, I think, you know, something that I, I think is amazing right now, and I, I, I want to see more men get a part of this and join this movement, um, is definitely ocular aesthetics, man. I mean, like, this is a big piece of eye care, and I feel like we're, we're sitting on it. I mean, there's no reason why, as eye care professionals, we do not own this. We should be the, the leaders when it comes to talking about lash, lash extensions, um, eyebrows, um, IPL, which I know we're seeing more of, but the ocular aesthetic realm, we need to own Botox, all that stuff, because we're the ones that look at this day in and day out. We're the experts. We're trained on this in school. We need to be more in this uh, world of ocular aesthetics. I mean, what are you doing in your practice? Are you doing anything with ocular aesthetics at all? Not so much with ocular aesthetics. We are doing things with some dry, with Lipaflow, and of course, you know, looking at the other treatments that we're going to go along with that. We, One of the things we've been trying to figure out how to do is to try and do more non-covered services. And I know that's become a really big thing, especially with legislators now, legislatures passing different laws. Here in Georgia, we passed a law this year, or last year actually, and signed in the law of the ability to not have insurance companies dictate whether we could do something at a certain price. If it was a non-covered service, we can charge whatever we need to do because it's right. a non-covered service. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, one of the particular vision plans has decided that the way they're going to afford their contract kind of circumvents that. So we're working through it with GOA. And, uh, but those things are very important to me, not just because of, not just because of the money that it brings in the practice. And that's nice. But if they slash our reimbursements, it makes it not worthwhile for the patient to have anymore because we can't afford to do it. And that's why it's so important that we're looking for some of these non-covered services and they stay in that realm. Uh, it just always seems like, you know, just about the time you really get into it, somebody slashes the price and it really doesn't, you know, give you the benefit of doing it for anybody anymore. Um, 
But as Oculus Aesthetics goes, we've got to actually, I've got a guy literally uh, half a block away from here um, who they started just doing eyelash extensions in his girlfriend's business. He helped front and they become a supplier and went from supplier actually to a purveyor of education of how to do eyelash extensions in the right way. They've asked me about opinions of what I have about it. And uh, they're supplying uh, more education now than they're actually doing on materials. And they've really done quite well with their business because of it. And you see it, and I love that. But just imagine if we had ownership of that. If we had someone in our practice that could do that day in and day out. You know, this is something that doesn't have to involve insurance. This is a cash paying patient. This can grow your practice and build it into something else. See, the one piece that we have to realize is that with eye care, we've been blessed to have that medical component, but also the retail component. And right. if you're able to marry both of those perfectly, your practice will thrive. Um, your patients will be uh, uh, marketing tools for you day in and day out uh, because everyone is concerned about their look. Women love to look great. Men love to look great. It's not just women. Men are big into this as well. I have tons of men coming in asking questions about their um, eyelashes. I have men coming in asking about color contacts. I mean, there's so much that we can do in regards to this, uh, uh, this sector, but I just feel like we're not truly owning it. There's a few folks in our industry that has, has you know, taken this by, by storm um, and they're doing fantastic. Uh, Dr. Janelle Davidson, she's doing an amazing job. She's actually in Georgia. Right. And uh, she's doing an incredible job. I mean, she actually has a spa in her practice. Um, and I'm just thinking, why can't we own that? Why can't we take uh, advantage of that? And we all know all the implications of what makeup does to dry, uh, to, to dry the eyes out and the damage that it causes. Um, so we are truly the experts when it comes to this. So I just would love to see us have more ownership in regards to that. But that's one of the game-changing things that I'm seeing right now in the industry. So when you're looking at these different things to do, you've got to figure out a risk to a certain yes. extent. How do you decide what's a good calculated risk versus what's a bad calculated risk? Wow. Loaded question there. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer of really working with people that have done what I want to do and learning through their mistakes and their experiences and having mentors that have excelled in this. So for me, it's more of teaming up with someone um, to, to get their insight, their feedback of their personal experience but in this situation, in regards to uh, ocular aesthetics, just like that person that's down the street with you, bring them into your facility, give them a free place to um, do their business and figure out where you can partner in regards to profit and build from there learn together. If you have multiple locations, once you get that master down, take that same concept and implement it into the another, another practice. But uh, for me, it's learning through other people's mistakes, having the right mentors and then just teaming up with people that are already doing it because you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can learn from others and have others um, actually do this as well for you. So how do you identify this? I mean, we're going to make this a little bit more general. How do you identify what trends are going to become the next big thing? The youth. You have to, you have to have a, a, a digital footprint you have to hang around young folks. Um, young folks, they're, they're the future. They know what's going on. The students, um, whether optometry students or outside of our profession, you have to have your, your, your footprint on their playground. Um, you know, it shouldn't be a surprise that dry eye is a big deal right now. If you look at how the youth were using their eyes with looking at um, iPads, cell phones, gaming, things of that nature, you would know that there will be a big market for dry eye. You know, there'll be a big uh, market for myopia control. These aren't things that, you know, everyone should be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is going on. Just look at the youth, look what's going on. And they're always going to dictate what the future is. So for me, I always keep my foot on the ground with uh, teenagers, uh, with, with kids. When they walk into my office, I'm asking them what's going on, what's hip, what's new, things of that nature. Now I actually have an in-house um, expert, my son, he's four years old, so I can slowly watch and see what he's doing and what he's learning. Um, and that's going to help me predict, you know, what's going to be a latest or greatest trend down the road and how I should practice in my office and what to look for and prepare for it so that, you know, the practice is uh, financially lucrative down the road. And that's one of the things that becomes a little more challenging too, as we age. I mean, you know, yeah. um, your, your son, four years old, you've got a long runway to see that kind of thing. My kids are 23, you know, so they're, adults now and well 
kind of adults. Um, but they're growing into that part. And the thing that they see as neat and cool is going to turn into more of, well, I'm going to have a family of my own. So I don't have time to do all that cool stuff anymore. So it's really incumbent upon us as practitioners to continue to stay plugged in when it's kind of harder to stay plugged in. Um, so how would you recommend to somebody to do that from the next level? I mean, is it one of the things you do is obviously getting involved with the schools and uh, talking to the, to the youth, actually they're going through optometry programs. How easy is it to make that connection? Well, it's, 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 it's pretty straightforward, man. I mean, number one, I feel like you should have a, a, a presence on social media just simply because you have to, again, play on their playground. But I think the easiest approach, honestly, Ted, is being a mentor. You know, a lot of people feel like when you look at mentorship, the mentor is the one that's giving all the advice and educating and telling that student or whoever it is what they need. But in reality, when I mentor students, it's the opposite. I'm taking so much information from them. I'm learning so much from them that is helping me become a better person, a better uh, physician, and um, able to navigate through this uh, uh, difficult landscape of optometry in a better way because I'm actually listening to them. So I think when it comes to, you know, how can you understand the trends and things of that nature, just look at you being a mentor, but also look at in that same relationship, you being a mentee as well and take in as much as you're giving to that person as well. Right. I mean, because if as a mentor, how are you going to know what best to tell them if you don't know where they're living? You're not going to be able to to reach them because you're not going to be able to say the things that they need to hear at the right time, unless you're making that connection. Um, So it's extremely important. I want to shift gears a little bit and get into our two nerdinesses on uh, podcasting. Okay. Uh, You've been involved in podcasting for a couple of years now, and uh, you've got a a great podcast uh, with your, with your partner and you guys actually have more of a network of podcasts. It's not just one. It's, it's a network of podcasts. Correct. Um, Tell me what are some of the best lessons you've learned from some of your guests? Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, I had a guest that was on not too long ago, and it was really about um, treating that person in front of you um, unlike any other. And what he stated to me, uh, I believe it was uh, Robert Bell. He said, treat that person as if they're going to die today. Wow. Yeah. And he said that simply because, you know, you never know what that person that's in front of you is going through. You don't know if they just lost someone. You don't know if they just got in a car accident. Um, You don't know what's going on with them. You don't know if they're going to pass after they leave your office, but treat them as if they're the last person that you're going to have a conversation with. And if you do that to every single person and give them all the attention, all the time, all the love, all the respect, you will never go wrong in patient care. Um, that to me was one of the most powerful moments that I think I've ever had on a podcast, just hearing that in general. You know, when you're looking at, I mean, again, we talked about this earlier, it's how much more you get out of these experiences versus what you get out of, you know, just listening to the podcast, because now you're literally involved in it, but you're literally involved in the, the process of, of the learning, you know, because you're drawing out information that they might not have necessarily said, I mean, yeah. you know, uh, a lot of times it's also a little more difficult, especially when you've got a personal relationship. I, I've found that sometimes doing these interviews with people that I know, well, it's a little tougher because <laughs> you're trying to, you know, say things that everybody needs to know without digging into some of the stuff that maybe people wouldn't get the joke. You know what I mean? Um, so what have been some of the more challenging interviews that you've done? with your podcast? Yeah. You know, some of the challenging ones have been really, you know, working with a lot of brands and then um, developing meaningful relationship with these brands, Um, putting them on the hot seat sometimes, man. You know, like if there's something that's going on and you're, you're, you have a different perspective of what they're doing, um, it can be a little uncomfortable to ask that tough question. Um, and you know, there's been several times that I've been in that position and, um, it's been tough, but you know, you just got to ask and, you know, you ask and sometimes that podcast doesn't end up going live, especially if it was a a branded, uh, podcast, but 
you know, you got to stay true. I mean, the one thing that Jen and I both uh, told each other um, when we started a defocus media podcast was that um, if it's not fun or if we're not authentic, we need to stop the podcast. So every podcast that we do, we want to make sure that we're enjoying ourselves and we want to tell the truth. We don't want to just do something because we're getting a check or because we're getting some type of additional service or something like that. We do podcasts because we want to bring the real deal, want to be authentic, and um, we want to ask the tough questions. Um, So for me, that question is really just, you know, when you have to put your colleague in that hot seat and ask ask them those tough questions and take friendship out and look at, you know, how is this going to impact our eye care industry? How is this going to make our profession better? How is this going to take down our profession? What can we do together to work together to make it better? So, you know, asking those tough questions to close friends and putting them in a hot seat can be real, real difficult at times. I agree. I agree, boy. It, it, it does get a little touchy from time to time. <laughs> um, you know, and, and one of the, I guess, one of the touchier topics, and I'm going to maybe take a little bit of the touchiness out of it. There seems to be always this uh, commercial versus private practice discussion. Yes. Why can't this discussion be commercial and private practice? Um, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in the law of abundance. There's plenty enough to go around for everybody. And with that being the case, why can't it be both? What, yeah. what's the, what's the, what do you think is the barrier from this discussion becoming a and discussion versus it being an or discussion? Yeah, great question. And honestly, I think, you know, corporate, private, whatever you want to call it, I think we should just call it optometry. You know, I think we, we've, we've given too much power uh, to names and, you know, people will look at corporate as better, private as being better. Um, and I think we've given too much power to that. Um, I think the big barrier, and I hate to say this, but it's the truth, is um, the school system. Um, the schools have always stated that private practice is superior than corporate optometry. And at the end of the day, there's going to be a practice setting for every demographic that's out there. And we all should have one common goal to help patients live their best lives and for them to be able to see and have the tools and resources um, to be able to be successful in life when it comes to the eyes. I mean, what we have to look at is that we are the gatekeepers to the healthcare system. And if we don't work together as a team, and if we don't educate students that we are just one team, not separate teams, we're going to continue to see this path take place. Um, so for me, you know, I do feel that, you know, some schools are barriers for this because they're, they're big into private practice. And, um, you know, that, that puts the, that puts shame on, on corporate optometry. When in reality, what you have to look at is we all need to work together to solve that one common goal. And that's to help the world see a brighter, better, and clearer place. So to put a spotlight maybe on some of those, what schools do you see that are doing a better job at that? Because you get a chance to jump into a lot of schools. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, you know, one school that I would say that has a great perspective of, you know, combining the best of both worlds is the New England College of Optometry. Um, Dr. Howard Purcell, you know, I think, I think academia needed him. And the reason why I say that is because his background is completely different from any other background in eye care and academia when it comes to that dean setting, at least from my knowledge. Um, him having a background of being in industry, um, that, was, that, was, that was huge because number one, it changed the dynamic of I've worked with private practice. I've worked with corporate optometry. They both are doing the same. And it also opened up the door to more funding from both of those ends. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I had to pick a school, I would say the New England College of Optometry. Um, I also would say my school, Pennsylvania College of Optometry at Silas University. I think they have done a great job of really welcoming um, any vendors in um, to be able to talk to the students and participate with the students, whether private or corporate. Um, I think they have done a great job with that. And I'm not saying all schools, but I'm just saying, you know, historically, there's been a big barrier at that school level. Um, You know, working with students with my eye doctor, you know, going to these different schools, I can say that they have been receptive to our organization coming in and they're showing us love. I have not met one school that said, no, you can't come in and have a conversation with students. But when you have those conversations with students on that one-on-one level, they will always tell you that they are told that they should go into private practice. Wow. Okay. I, I, I didn't really understand. I mean, of course, I guess since that's only, I think I've ever heard 
um, you know, as far as, and the only thing I decided that's what I wanted to do. Uh, but I've never heard anyone put it in that, those terms before. And so yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative of the fact though, that at least people are realizing that optometry is optometry. It doesn't matter where you're practicing. It is how you're practicing it. That's um, it. You know, and that's the, that's the thing that we all need to get ourselves in the right mind for. Um, yeah. I think also, I mean, that- I just had a great visit. I just had a great visit at Upike and uh, Dr. B down there um, and his team, they welcome uh, me and my team there uh, kindly, warmly. And it, it was a fantastic facility, fantastic school, uh, one a partner. Um, they just care about optometry. They care about the students. They care about, you know, them getting out of school and being able to find um, a, a practice modality that's going to accommodate their needs somewhere that they can go learn, grow, build a career and um, do something special in the eye care. So, uh, you know, I, if I had to pick my tops, man, definitely New England College of Optometry, PCO, where I come from and UPike, uh, all great leadership in all of those organizations. And um, I love it. And, um, you know, I, I, this is where I get in trouble with podcasts, right? The more and more I sit down and I think about this and I think about my relationships, these are just tough questions. You yeah. put me on the spot, right? Uh, I, I can't leave out Adid Flanagan, right? Over at Berkeley as yeah. well, man. I Don's mean, the list goes on and on, right? right? But, you know, just from my perspective, it's more of, you know, someone in the schools are really educating the students that private practice is the way that you should go. And that's the only route that you should go. When in reality, you really need to look at what's going to accommodate your lifestyle the best and what's going to help you take care of your family the best and um, position yourself um, with that and make sure that whatever organization you join, whether private or corporate, um, you know, your vision, your purpose truly aligns with their purpose as well. So you being as busy as you are and me being as busy as I am, um, how do we bring joy to our lives? I mean, because let's face it, you get too busy and some of that joy just gets sucked right out of it. So how, what are you doing to bring joy to your life? Well, you know, I, 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 there's a few things. Number one, um, definitely family, my son, my newborn, uh, just seeing their faces, you know, every morning waking up. It's just, to me, it's just, it's just, I mean, even my son, his name, it it means, um, uh, a bundle of joy, you know, like literally. Um, so, you know, every day, um, just seeing their two faces, it just makes me wake up and it, it, it makes me realize I got to get out. I got to go get it. I got to make it happen uh, because of these two here. They bring tremendous joy. And of course, my lovely wife, you can't, I can't, you know, I can't leave her out. Um, you know, amazing person. I get on her nerves on a regular basis, but, you know, I try my hardest to always uh, bring joy to her as well, but she definitely brings joy to me as well. Um, but, you know, outside of family, it's for me, I always think about the students, man. I love eye care. Eye care is that that's it's in my DNA. It's in my blood. Eye care found me. So um, the students, they really bring joy to me. Having conversation with them, whether it's online, social media, one on one in conversations uh, in person. Um, you know, these are the things that that, that really uh, create joy for me. And, and last but not least, um, food and travel. I love both of those things. Um, without those two items, man, I don't know where I would be. Um, because that is like my ultimate thing to be able to have a great meal, to be able to travel to a distant land um, with family. That is that's that's the win win for me at the end of the day. I agree. And I cannot wait until we can start doing that a lot easier uh, as things start progressing forward. Um, but I want to get back to the student thing. And, and I yeah. completely agree with you that that was of all the things that I have done to give to my profession. And I don't even like to say give back because I'll never be able to return what I got out of it. Uh, But to give to my profession, it has been going in doing stuff with students. Uh, It's first of all, they're excited. Uh, They're all happy. And they got this wonderful idealism, which unfortunately gets sucked out of them the first year and they're in practice, but you know, (laughs) uh, it is, but it's just wonderful watching their faces. And it's almost like I'm talking about them showing up for Christmas. Um, (laughs) But they really truly get excited to have someone like you to come in and just say, Hey, here's the deal. And this is how, what I did. And this is how I did it. And you know, it, it, you can do it too. It's not that difficult because if I did it, you can do it too. Um, yep. So having those abilities is, is an amazing thing. And for those of you that think you can't do it, you can, the, the schools are dying for people to come in and talk to those students. Um, I, I would highly recommend if you want to really get in, excited about your profession again, go and spend some time with these young people. It's just an amazing experience. 
Hey, I, I experienced that this past week with going out to you, Pika. Just talking to the students, um, we we had the opportunity to talk the first year, second years, third, fourth, all of them. And the the students that excited me the most were the first years. Um, you know, they were telling me about why they jumped into the world of optometry. They were telling me their purpose. They, they, that that one moment that you know, I had one guy tell me he wanted to be an optometrist since the age of five. I mean, it's just, you know, hearing these stories, uh, wanting to go back to their community and, and make a difference, make an impact. Um, they just, it blows your mind and it makes you feel great that you're in such an incredible profession and just to hear the future of optometry, having the right mindset, it's just touching, man. It brings a lot of joy to me, a lot of happiness in my heart whenever I hear that. So, you know, students, they're, they're the truth, man. They're the future. Um, they're going to keep optometry going, going, and uh, they're going to make us happy and proud, man, and bring a lot of joy to our lives as well. Yeah, um, just being selfish for a moment. Did that um, student who was telling you they want to be an optometrist since they were five happen to be about six foot one and have a reddish colored beard? <laughs> Absolutely. I, yeah, that's my son's story. Uh, for those that are listening, yeah, uh, my son Hank. Uh, yeah, he had an opportunity to meet uh, Daryl this week, and, and it was yeah. so, so funny because he was so excited. Um, when he said, Hey, do you happen to know? I said, yeah, it's, it's, he's a good friend of mine. So he absolutely, it was a, it was really excited to have you there. Yeah. And he was the first student that came up to me, man. And when I tell you he was well-mannered, great energy, um, just beautiful person. You could tell, um, I was like, yeah, I, I, I know your dad. I, I, I know your family. I know who you, I know where you come from. <laughs> he's a really good kid. It really is. But I doubt we'll be able to get him over to, uh, to my organization. <laughs> well, you know, the, th- the fact is, I, he's everybody asks me every time. So where is he going to end up practicing? I go, yeah. I don't know. I mean, because that's really up to him. If he wants to come back here with Julia and me, uh, that's my associate, hopefully soon to be partner. Yeah. Um, you know, hey, I'm, I'll be tickled to death to have him come back. But if he decides he wants to go somewhere else, I'm good with that, too. It, it's really his decision. And I want it to be his decision. Well, his and maybe somebody else's with him, if that's the case. But it, <laughs> but it truly does, does need to be his decision, because if it's all about my decision, he's not ever going to have his life. And it's really important to me that he has that chance. I, I, I gave up an opportunity to have a business of my dad's. My dad's a printer and it was a great business. Still is. My nephew has it now. And, you know, I, I could have easily walked into that and it would have been an easy thing to do. And I might've still been a leadership person, but I don't know the, what I would be doing otherwise, you know, and, uh, if he wants to choose to do something, he wants to go to a big city and do optometry. He wants to go to in the mission field and do optometry. Hey, that's great. I want him to do what's going to give him some joy. Hey, you know what, Ted? I want to I reverse I want to reverse things. I want to be the host here on your show. All right. I want to take over your show. This is the Daryl Glover Takeover. So this is the deal, man. Uh, the one thing that I love about you, uh, Ted, is um, your leadership. And, you know, what you just said is, in my opinion, a leader, right? Um, you're, you're, you're checking yourself at the door. You're concerned about the welfare, the benefit for others. In this situation, family member, your son. Um, I would love to learn just how did you develop those leadership qualities and those characteristics? Because, um, again, I've sat with you on several boards and when you're, you're talking and you're educating, um, clearly you're a leader in the field. And that's why folks want you to be a part of that conversation and a dialogue. But just if you don't mind just sharing with me so I can learn so I can be um, selfish at this moment. Um, how did you develop this leadership? Where did it come from? Well, a lot of, I mean, my upbringing, uh, you know, I hate to say it. It really truly is. I mean, it's generational. Um, my dad started his own business. Actually, he was working at a really large printing company. They printed like time magazine and people and sports illustrated and us and all that stuff. And he, and one of the guys on the shift he was on decided to start their own printing company. And literally the week they were getting ready to ink this deal together, Charlie, the other guy that was going with my dad, got offered a better position within the bigger company they were in. And he said, I just can't take this risk. It's, it's, you know, it's right here in front of me. They're going to give me a pay raise. And dad is still to, to this day said the pay raise he probably took was pennies compared to what he would have had if he just stayed with this business. So my dad took this risky thing uh, with his family, you know, had a, a job that was really good, painting well, had anything he needed, benefits, 
and said, I'm going to do my own thing. And uh, because it was the better thing for him to do. And he started this business in our basement in Marietta, Georgia. Um, we found out about a company that was available in South Georgia, where we moved to about 45 minutes from where I live now. And he moved his business there again, huge risk, you know, and, but it was a calculated risk. Like we talked about at the beginning. Yeah. And I watched him take this business. My dad's never considered himself really to be a leader. Um, but he, he truly is. And yeah. the story that I, I love to tell, and I probably have told it on this podcast before, but I'm going to tell it a thousand more times if I need to. <laughs> My nephew who now owns the business is about four years old and he is in the back with my dad and one of the other people that works for my dad. And my dad is sweeping the floor and the other guy is just kind of are on the side doing, I don't know, nothing pretty much. And my nephew, four-year-old Jake says, granddaddy, why are you sweeping the floor? He goes, because there are no unimportant jobs, mm. you know, and that's oh. the mentality I've always had that there's yeah. no unimportant job. Now there's probably a lot of stuff I shouldn't be doing, <laughs> but there are some things that sometimes you just got to do. Right. I watched the same thing happen this past weekend. We were in, a, we were in uh, Orlando at Disney area. My other son is in hospitality management and we had gone to this restaurant at downtown Disney called wine bar, George. It's um, not one of the other restaurants that's corporately owned. It's actually a, privately owned restaurant there. And somehow one of the ladies at our table said, well, so who's George? And they go, that's him over there. And he was actually there. Oh, wow. A couple of moments later, he walks up to her table and starts busing it. Wow. Yeah. And to wow. see this guy on a Sunday evening with a full restaurant, busing his own tables was really impressive to me. Yeah. You know, because that's showing his team, this is how things get done. That's yeah. how leadership has always been modeled for me um, that leadership is really truly a stewardship. It is not a perk or a right. It's a stewardship. And yep. if you're going to take care of being a leader, you've got to take care of your people. Absolutely. 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 And I, and I love that. And, you know, just putting it into the eye care world and perspective, just looking back at COVID-19 last year, 2020, um, this is the time when leaders really were there, when they really showed up. Um, you know, I'll give you a prime example, at least in my organization. I remember uh, we were all, we all went home. Uh, we stayed at home until our, our leadership, our management team figured out the best direction to go. And, you know, they took care of us. We were paid, all that other jazz. And um, at that time, when we were starting to come back into the office, it was just the doctor and office manager. And the doctor and office manager worked day in and day out to build up that practice to be able to bring back each team member in the office. The doctor, the manager, they were everything. They were the front desk, the doctor, the technician, the optical sales consultant, the janitor, um, answered the phones, everything. And we were able to bring back the office by just doing what you said, serving for our team members, creating value, just leading the organization. And um, it, it was just touching, man. There, there was no job. And to this day, there's no job that's big, big for anyone that's in our organization. Whatever needs to be done, we do. We check our egos at the door and we make sure that um, we work together as a team, as a family, and we, we are leaders as a whole. And, you know, I, I think that when you exhibit that type of leadership, you basically are creating people who will charge the gates of hell with a water pistol for you. Yeah. I mean, they truly will. And because yeah. they know what you're putting yourselves through to yeah. do it for them. Um, you know, it's, we all have a whole bunch of car payments that we make. We all have a whole bunch of braces. We put on kids, we put roofs over people's heads, shoes on kids feet, and they're not even our children, you know, and because we know truly deep down inside also that if we mess up, it messes it up for everybody else back at the office. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 I honestly feel I care professionals and this is my personal opinion, but I look at us as the, uh, the leaders of healthcare in general, uh, just simply because, you know, with our profession, again, we're the gatekeepers into healthcare and the things that we find um, can change that person sitting in front of us lives that, you know, a PCP may not be able to see right away. 
Um, so when it comes to healthcare, I do strongly feel like we are truly the leaders in healthcare. I completely agree. So I want to be really respectful of your time because it is Friday afternoon, (laughs) baby brain and everything. So as we're closing up, what is it that you would want to leave everybody with as this last thought from Daryl Glover? Yeah. You know, for me, I I just really want everyone to, uh, it's a couple of thoughts, if you don't mind. No, go ahead. Uh, Number one, you're never too old to really, truly find your purpose, find your purpose in life, find your why. Um, you know, some people feel like they, they, they never will reach that point or find that, but it's never too late. Look for it. If you're not happy, you probably haven't found your purpose or your why. Figure that out because that will elevate your life and take it to the next level. Um, the other thought that I really wanted to leave is... Um, we have to do better when it comes to diversity, um, equity, and inclusion. We have to do a better job. Um, and again, being leaders in healthcare, I think in eye care, we can really make that change. Um, we have to look at, you know, the, the demographic that we serve, the public that we serve. And being that the United States is becoming a big melting pot, we have to make sure that we're prepared for that. And in order to prepare for that, we have to really learn different backgrounds. We have to accept different backgrounds. We have to work with different backgrounds. We have to have products to accommodate uh, the patient base, the demographic that's in front of us. Um, We really have to do a better job in regards to incorporating diversity and how we practice and serving that uh, diverse crowd as well. Um, So that's it, man. You know, just find your purpose and your why and make sure that you really um, except that diversity is here. It's not going anywhere. And the sooner that the, uh, we accept it and embrace it, the better the world will be and the better healthcare we'll be able to provide for our patients. Well, I mean, we just barely scratched the surface of you, Daryl. I mean, so uh, I'm, I didn't want to, I want to make sure I left plenty to bring you back for. In a <laughs> so I really appreciate you being with me this afternoon. And I know our audience is going to get a ton out of this. And I've gotten a ton of this as I always do with you, Daryl. Thank you. For yeah, man. Well, thanks, Ted, and uh, thanks for everything that you do. Keep up the great work, man. Um, I always look forward to chatting with you and learning from you. And, you know, if I can be of any help, any service, any value, feel free to reach out to me. Um, thank you again for giving me the opportunity to chat with you and your, uh, your, your crowd, man. You have a great one. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. And then when I, I got so confused with the the date of this event, man, I don't know where I was at. I was thinking, I was like, was that last week he told me he had to change? Or was that the week before? Or was like everything just started running together, man? Yeah. And that yeah. that might be, I have a newborn too. So um, I got I baby imagine. break going. Yeah, yeah, I understand. I totally understand. I'm, I'm thankful that I don't have to go back through baby brain every year. Oh, man. Oh, man.